heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today. It is the 19th of July. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Christy Broad, General Manager of the Burnett Inland Economic Development Organisation will join us. We're going to catch up with Trent Thorne this morning, Mark Davey, John Mercer from the Kadanga Valley and why was St George without mobile coverage for four days? Telstra, you have some questions to answer. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers in the Hot Country Network. A very good morning to you. Let's get into it. Trent Thorne joins us next. This is rural Queensland today. So much going on in our great state. We'll try and cover it for you on rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Agribusiness specialist and lawyer is Trent Thorne, a regular on our show. He joins us this morning on Rural Queensland today. Trent, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. No, no worries, do I? Uh, lots going on um, in the market and we are really at the present moment subjected to a lot of outside forces. Um, I mean, we've focused heavily on this show over the last couple of weeks just around you know, FMD and just the, the the real threat and challenge it has. We've also got the situation where there is a war going on and there's shortage. We've got um, COVID r- still raging across uh, this country and most of the nations. And, you know, we're trying to operate an agricultural enterprise in our country, you know, which is not going to in a lot of ways be affected by all this, but it's it's almost impossible. Yeah, look, it, the, the, there's some real positive aspects to our agri-economy at the moment, but there's certainly um, some things that we need to be wary about over the horizon. And I know, I'm sure you've been talking about some of the diseases to our north. Um, yeah, you know, we've had lumpy skin, very- unbelievable. It's, it, it's a real threat uh, and FMD. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you look at the the truly bizarre rainfall we've had this year, you know, that the, a lot of the guys just can't get a break in terms of getting into their paddocks to get crops off or to get crops in. You know, it's the first time I can ever remember of having farmers whinge to me about too much rain. I never thought I'd see that, but that's what's happening at the moment. We've got different sectors around the world and different agricultural sectors around the world that are trying to take control, and we probably need to have more of a voice. We've been dictated to by our governments for a long, long time. There's no two ways about it. And you made a valid point in the country life that if you look at, you know, what's going on overseas, use, for example, the Dutch farmers at the moment, they are threatening to block at country airports, ports and distribution centres after the politicians decided to close down, you know, uh, cattle properties because they didn't comply with EU regulations on nitrogen emissions. Now, this is something that we having to deal with. We're getting a lot of policy made that we're going to have to try and step into line in the agribusiness sector, yet we don't have any control of what's going on. So are we at the point, and is this a good lesson to look at what's going on overseas, that if we're going to get dictated to about emissions and, and about um, reductions on on what we're going to, on carbon, that potentially we could take matters into our own hands because we do provide the food for the nation and this is a huge economy and a, and a massive, massive issue. Yet if we don't get it right, 
all hell could break loose. Yeah, look, Dobbo, and this is this is only not just playing out in the Netherlands. We've seen a, a very, very clear example in Sri Lanka over the you know the last couple of weeks, but that's been unfolding like a slow train wreck for the past twelve months. There, you know, w- w- what it comes back to is the world over. There's this been this over time a generational and a geographic shift from people living in farming and rural communities and understanding how things are produced to moving to cities and then having no idea. And, you know, the Sri Lankan example is a perfect one because anyone with even a modicum of understanding would understand what would happen if you tried to move your entire production system to organic. You would know that that's going to create a problem and there's not going to be enough food for everyone, you know, and uh, surprise, surprise, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, the, 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 the rest of the country has crumbled as a result of food insecurity. You know, we started seeing this at, at the very outset of COVID where, you know, all the shelves were cleared. People understand above everything else that they need to feed themselves. It's the first fundamental thing, you know, get water into your system, then you've got to feed yourself and then clothing and everything else, else comes thereafter. But, you know, when you look at the Netherlands, again, we're dealing with, um, to take up your point, they are trying to demonise a part of the economy where they're saying there's too much, you know, reduced nitrogen emissions. Well, there's plenty of other sectors in the economy, like the transport sector, you know, the heavy industry, industrial sectors, the mining sectors that produce nitrogen emissions. Agriculture always seems to be the easy mark because we just don't have that voice out in the community. We don't have the dollars of the resource sector to, to sort of fight the implementation of these um, of these policies. And unsurprisingly, the Netherlands farmers have risen up with a lot of support from you know not only um, the, the the people who are manning the ports, the fishermen, the police. There's a lot of people who are actually out there supporting them because they can see if this happens. The same thing could happen to their industry as well, that basically, you know, their property could be taken from them. It's it's going to create significant problems because if you take 30% of the beef production or dairy production out of the Netherlands, you and I both know exactly what that means. Um, it just means more – it either means more people going hungry or you have to import more food. But at the end of the day, people are going to be paying more for their food. And, and we can already see what's happening with inflation pressures all around the planet. I worry that – People listening to this today think that the, 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 the threat isn't real here. We don't know what we're going to look like in five years' time from a policy perspective, and that's the concern that we have. So do we need a stronger voice? And I'm not saying we don't have one, but is that the bigger thing? We need a stronger voice. Uh, absolutely. You know, I look at to get just take one small example. It's a little bit removed, but yesterday the ACT Parliament introduced a law that says yes. you cannot purchase petrol or diesel vehicles, new petrol or diesel vehicles from 2035. And they're just, look, and no one would be surprised that the ACT would introduce a law like that. It's completely on message for that sort of um, green-aligned parliament. But that's how these things start, you know, it's incrementally. And look, I don't want to get into a whole electrical car debate, but that's how these things, they just keep morphing over time. And as I made the point in my article is that you know, what's happening in the Netherlands, you know, I can guarantee you the people in the ACT parliament will be watching that and, um, you know, it, it won't be long before they start decreeing the same sort of thing in the ACT and then other parliaments in, in Australia take a look at what's happening in the ACT and it just builds momentum. So 
by 2030, who's to say that, you know, we won't be in a similar position as the Netherlands? I would be surprised that we, if we wouldn't have at least had some sort of high-level policy debate about this because we always follow what happens in Europe. We take an extra couple of years, but we inevitably, you know, doesn't matter how strange or none of the, none of the idea is, there's going to be always people here who don't understand how production systems work you think that's a great idea, let's just implement that here. So, yep, we've got this coming over the hill, and unless we start making a hell of a lot more noise and, and holding our ground, you know, people will start demanding in Australia that they give up their farm. This is so scary it's not funny. I mean, that policy that was made yesterday out of Canberra, to me it came out of left field, but as you are saying, I mean, there's 12 more years I'm being honest, I just ordered a new diesel Prado. I literally just ordered one. So, I mean, it doesn't bode well for people like myself. I mean, that, those cars are going to be worth, are going to be obsolete at some point. But I don't know how we can we can function without diesel. Yeah, but here's the thing, too, without getting too deep down this, like I, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pile on electric vehicles. I don't have any issue with them as such, but, if the politicians are serious, which they don't seem to be at the moment, they just seem to be going, okay, electrical vehicles sound good. But what about all the infrastructure that's required to deal with them? Like we, we haven't even addressed how many of these things, uh, charging stations need to go in and up and down our highways, let alone every new building that gets built should have the capacity to be able to plug in a, a car because where are all these cars going to get plugged in? And what about people live in the inner city? You know, I live in a high rise in town and I'm, you know, yeah. I'm sure in Brisbane City here, there's a lot of other people like me. None of our car parks are set up for, you know, plugging in your vehicle. So all these things need to happen before we can even start talking about introducing electrical vehicles, you know. But none of that. And also there was a report that came out recently that said it'll take an extra 40% of power out of the grid to support all the electrical vehicles. And from what I'm seeing today, I even heard on the radio this morning, you know, there's a rolling blackouts potentially going to happen down south because of, you know, that the strains on our current grid. So yeah. if our politicians are being spared income, this is a big weeping sore. You know, forget about the vehicles. Start sorting out the infrastructure first before you start talking about vehicles. Yeah, you're dead right. Uh, appreciate your time this morning. You make so many valid messages. We should be worried and we need to get a stronger voice. And that is United. We're going to talk very shortly with Mark Davies, Central Queensland cattleman and food manufacturer, who's steering the committee uh, for the Australian Beef Sustainability Framework. He feels as strongly about this as uh, the likes of yourself and others, and things have to change. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us, mate. No worries. Thanks, Bobo. Good on you. Well, I talk about this at the top of the show, and I've got to say I am absolutely furious with this. Telstra outages shut down St George businesses for days. Now, I got a phone call about this over the weekend that the businesses were left in the dark when a Telstra outage that lasted four days, four days, caused more than just dramas for store owners and customers. Now, this was a service that began cutting out intermittently last Thursday. A lot of people couldn't believe it. It completely dropped out on Friday and remained unresolved all the way till yesterday afternoon. Now, I spoke with the Boulogne Shire Council about this and they said it was a massive, massive impact on businesses. FPOS was not working. The Wi-Fi wasn't working. The whole town pretty much shut down. This is St George because of the Telstra outage. Now, 
This has always been a concern of mine that we've got one provider out there that works and yet Telstra, you know, the only advice they were giving is we're experiencing difficulties. Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. This is not good enough. No mention of compensation for businesses, no apology, no, hey, listen, we understand your town and the services it provides in regional Queensland and we want to support you. Nothing. Banks were shut. ATMs couldn't be used. It's bloody ridiculous. Now, Richard Marsh owns the news agency in St George for the last 22 years and it was he says it's the worst he's ever experienced. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that in this day and age, Telstra want to duck and weave over this kind of stuff. St George had dramas with their FPOS and their Wi-Fi and shut the town down with the outage. It started last Thursday. It went Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and as of yesterday, was still an issue. Now, Golden Casket tried to speak to Telstra about the cause of the outage and inquired. They were told there was nothing that could be done at the time. Telstra have said they'd be say it could be seven to ten days. Seven to ten days. Are you serious? Telstra, you dropped the ball here. And if it happens in St George, it's going to happen in other towns. What a disgusting situation that we are in that this kind of stuff happens. They then indicated indicated it was the fault with an exchange. Why couldn't someone come and fix it? Eventually, Telstra, who were aware of the problem, said there was nothing more they can do. FPOS services unavailable at most businesses. Locals were trying to withdraw money, but the tellers were running out of cash and the ATM services were also shut down. So they lost Saturday lottos at the news agency and a significant amount of money throughout the town. And if you didn't have cash, you did not survive over the weekend. From a banking facility point, none of the community had access to banking other than what they had in their pockets. From a business perspective, it impacted them. Yet, Telstra didn't want to know about it. The main street was in all sorts. No Wi-Fi whatsoever. Now, I love this. May Boysen is the Telstra Regional General Manager, said the transmission issue that affected some mobile and landline services was resolved on Monday the 11th, while the NBN services were not affected at any stage. Transmission issues can be complex. But I can tell you what, it's just garbage. This is just garbage. Absolute garbage from Telstra. They they want to try and get things sorted. Well, you know, no one's got any patience about this. No one's got Wi-Fi. Residents continue to make calls and texts at home using the connection with the Wi-Fi from home, but they can't in town. If you don't have FPOS, you, you've got dramas. I'm sorry, this is not good enough. This is not good enough. Absolutely, absolutely disgusting. So I I have had enough of Telstra making all these complaints. There's been issues out there for weeks and yet they shut down over the whole weekend and they think that's good enough. I'm sorry, just because you live in St George, you should not be disadvantaged. This is beyond a joke. 
and we'll be doing something about it, trying to get onto Telstra in the next couple of days. They need to start to listen because this cannot continue. All Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network on Tuesday the 26th of July, uh, the Burnett Inland Economic Development Organisation will host a day workshop uh, for North Burnett women featuring guest speakers, connection breaks and class material to help women identify their dreams and turn this into reality. I'm a father of two daughters and I want nothing more than equality for my my two girls and them to be able to, you know, in a tough environment, create their own path and create their own uh, destiny and opportunities. History will show that it hasn't always been that easy um, for women in this country and we have really changed and we have really identified the need to have more uh, strong, powerful women in areas of power and positions that uh, were traditionally male-orientated. Burnett Visionary Women have been born from a collective feedback and insights and ideas shared by a number of visionary women in the region of the North Burnett. Uh, Christy Board joins us this morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. How are you this morning? Really, really great. Congratulations, firstly. This workshop to be held in Gainda on on the 26th of July how rewarding um, that we're, we've got to the point where we're holding these kind of discussions that we I mean, we never should have had to get to this. But the fact is that we can do it and that this can empower um, women from all different ages and from all different uh, walks of life to take control and to try and potentially identify their dreams and, and turn them into reality. Oh, 100%. And first off, how lucky are your daughters to have a father like you? Those words are beautiful. Um, look, absolutely. We, um, we're we finding that when we get around and we're talking to businesses across the Burnett Inland, across the whole North and South, you know, and we talk about, you know, um, women, you know, being, I mean, women are so innovative. Like, they really, really are. And But when you say, you know, you know, we're putting call out for visionary women, a lot of women are saying, well, I don't see myself as visionary. And we say to them, well, you know, do you have a vision or a goal or an idea for a project or a business in your mind and you're willing to take the steps to fulfill it? Well, then guess what? You're visionary. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> just, right. You know, the, the, there's so much creative, uh, creativity and innovation and amazing vision that our women hold across the burnout inland. And we just are really excited to be able to put something in place to help them take the steps to achieve that. So we live in a very amazing region with amazing women, that's for sure. And there's lots of ideas that, you know, and, and I mean, my mother went back to university at 52 years of age um, and she was a, and I don't take this the wrong way, she was very much a, a mother at home, stay-at-home mum, a yeah, housewife, gets divorced, doesn't have any any opportunities, doesn't even know where to begin mm. and mate, ended up working at a dress shop in Sydney and then obviously then went back and did psychology and kinesiology and she's now a kinesiologist. But it, it doesn't it, – it's not immune to just one age. It doesn't have to be a young girl who's 19, who's out of school, who's got this idea. My mum was Goodness 52 and, and, and she, she's now 70 and she's been super successful. And, and, I, and, and I see a lot uh. of women who have got their kids through school – and they're at a wit's end. Their husband's on the farm, or their 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 yeah. husband, you know, and and they're like, okay, so where's my purpose now? And they've always had these good ideas, just through you know a relationship or what, what what's been happening. They haven't been able to fulfil them. Well, this will give people a chance to share them, and then you guys will be able to to help them through it, and obviously That's show right. them a pathway. 
Yeah, and good on your mum. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And what we're finding, you know, like connected communities are resilient communities, right? And, you know, a lot of these women are out working on farms. And so also to provide resources and steps to get them in the right direction. It's also about connecting with other like-minded women that are striving to create something as well. So it's, um, look, we've always, Bayo has always um, done all sorts of things across the business development space. And we've often run uh, Women in Ag Days and things like that. But sure. women in ag, they're innovative and they're yeah. visionary. And, you know, there's women who are shifting what they're doing in their town-based businesses to accommodate the effects of drought and then COVID or the flood. <laughs> and so they're being innovative and doing um, really visionary things to pivot their businesses. So business is business, whether it's agribusiness, town-based business, or whether you're leading a community organisation and you're, and you're being, you know, you're striving for change within those organisations, or even if you've got a project that you want to fulfil, like having a group of women together that are all like driven to create something, um, I, I, I've got a good feeling it's going to be really quite special. <laughs> and we're not just stopping at Gainesville, we are looking at um, rolling it out across um, all the towns across the North Burnett and also then moving into the South Burnett as well. So it is about the Burnett inland across the board, not just the North. Yeah, a lot of people listening this morning, um, and, and don't be shy, people can uh, – RSVPs do close this afternoon though. There's no two ways about it and there are still tickets available. So you need to book your tickets at www.biedo.org.au forward slash events. That's www.biedo.org au forward slash events and you, you this afternoon is when uh the obviously rsvp closes but this is so important Tip, tickets are limited to 40 people right there still are available tickets now if you're a lady out there do not be shy and you're not you're not making a wrong decision you're not going to be laughed at this is a safe spot where you can go you can listen you can obviously communicate um you're not going to get shot down no idea is ever wrong um, no, this absolutely. Is about, this is about empowering and giving people an opportunity, and I think it's fantastic that the Burnett in, Inland Economic Development Organisation are doing this in the North Burnett. This is a gainer on Tuesday, the twenty sixth of July. Um, there will be more of them. Um, I, I think it's a, a phenomenal idea. It should be rolled out across the country and across the state, um, and, and especially in these regional areas where opportunities just aren't as open as what they are in the metropolitan area. So, uh, Christy, thanks so much for being with us. I hope it goes well. Um, we'll make sure we get that uh, website and, and uh, that availability up. It's biedo.org.au forward slash events um, for anybody that would like to register. Um, and I think that's phenomenal. Thanks so much for being with us. No, thank you so much and thank you for your support. Good on you. $30 uh, a ticket, I should add, um, and that covers um, lunch as well in the process. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Well, Saturday the 30th of July in the Mary Valley southwest of Gympie is the 19th annual Kadanga Valley Bull Sale. John Mercer, the stud principal of Kadanga Valley, joins us this morning. G'day, mate. How are you? Not too bad, Dolo. 60 inches of rain in your neck of the woods for the year. Uh, you never want to wish it away, but gee whiz, that's a lot of water. Uh, yeah, it certainly is. It's uh, put a bit of pressure on the boys in their preparation, but um, no, they come along nice now. We've had a few weeks of sunshine, but uh, they tell us there's more coming at the end of the week. So Yeah, that's the big that's the big step at the moment. Um, you're offering 102 quality Charolais and Charbray bulls. All these bulls, as we know, are coastal red, and, and – 
free transport up into many of the centres. But I've got to talk about how hard has it been with the prep, with with the weather this year. I mean, everybody's been in the same boat, but just in your neck of the woods, it's been especially heavy rain and a lot more than most other areas. The biggest issue with the rain has been that it's it's like rain like for five days at a time, nonstop, which is puts puts huge pressure on cattle, even in the paddocks. You know, they just sure. after about the third day, they just stand in the corner and and want to give up. You know, but um, no, the boys were a little bit behind coming in, but um, no, they look great now, mate. We're just in the process of washing and videoing them these couple of days, so we'll have videos out. Um, uh, on our website and and auctions plus auctions plus is in the sale this year, so that'll be live streaming on sale day. But uh, hopefully that'll all be out. Uh, to the videos will be out to be viewed uh, before the weekend. You, when when we talk about bulls, these bulls have stood the test of time for a long time. Kadangavalley.com.au dot to view the photos and the videos at the end of the week. Um, One hundred and two Beepy Charlotte and Charbray bulls. What, what what would you say if, if you went and looked at your bulls? What, what what's the what what what's the description that you believe? Uh, uh, the, the, to me, they've always been bulls that no matter what what climate they'll go and work. And sometimes your Charbrays and Charolais bulls are different studs. They can be as soft as butter, and they look beautiful when they come. And they're all, but when they get out into the, they just won't work. They hang around the waters and they won't travel. I've always known your bulls have always stood the test, and and they're strong. They're resilient and they will fight and go and work. We we've got a lot of clients up the coastal strip uh, in country that's not really uh, usually used for breeding Charolais cross cattle, but uh, our bulls have gone out and you know, like you say, stood the test of time. I think it's the fact that they've been acclimatised on the coast. But just just on that, mate, we've we've got eight bulls in our Charolais that are in the top one percent of EBVs for growth, scrotal, and carcass traits. Jeez. Plus, plus another whole group of them in the top 10 to 15. Now, that's, that just shows you that we've co- concentrated on those those economic traits for 40 years. So we, we call them all-rounders, basically. They sort of uh, they breed progeny. They're going to perform for the breeder, feeder, and processor. So they just fit into all facets of the, of the meat chain, you know. That's it's all about profitability and survivability. Yeah, and that's and that's where you want to be, and that's and that's really where you, you've got to be. And and I mean, it's a beautiful cross. That F one cross. There's no better whether or not you take it through to a feeder steer or heifer. Whether or not you're looking for a store 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 market, it, it, it ticks every market. The Kadanga Valley Bull Sale, it starts at 11am, Saturday, July 30. Now, the agents are Nutrient and Gippy and Shepherdson and Boyd Tagulawa. You can get in contact with them or go to their website, uh, kadangavalley.com.au, to view all the photos. And as we said, the videos of the 102 Beepy Charolais and Charbray Bulls will be available at the end of the week and they'll be up. Um, and there's no the, this sale is well known and it is highly regarded. So I can strongly recommend everybody. Uh, who, who is interested to please go and have a look at, uh, in the process. Always, we've always said this, early bull sales are the best ones because, you know, by the end of the season, people are chasing numbers and, and you always get the best value at these early bull sales. So you need to get in and get going. 
The market's never been as good. Uh, all these bulls are guaranteed sound. They're semen tested, numerous vaccinations, and they're ready to go. John, best of luck, mate. I hope you get a dry day and beautiful sun in the Mary Valley. It's a magic part of Australia, and I just hope the sale goes so well for you because these bulls are uh, as good as they get and they deserve competition on them because they are an absolute credit to you and your family. They've been absolutely – you've stood the test of time with them, mate. So people can get in contact with you, no doubt, um, if they've got any qu- in qu- any uh, uh, questions whatsoever. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, I'd just like to add, too, there's 43 poly bulls listed too, Dobbo, so we're sort of learning that way a bit more these days. And, um Go for and, uh, there's certainly a demand for them, but uh, if they want to call me on 0427 448 668. They'll catch me. Beautiful. 0427 448 668. Appreciate your time, John. Thanks so much, and best of luck for the sale on the 30th of July. Thanks, Dobbo. And we have, we've had a good game of football the other night, or what? Unbelievable, mate. Proud to be a Queenslander. <laughs> good on you. Rural yeah. Queenslander Day on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. It is Tuesday morning, the 19th of July, and uh, Mark Davey has been a regular on this show for a number of years. He's Central Queensland Cattleman Food Manufacturer and is now uh, on the steering committee for the Australian Beef Sustainability Framework. From a perspective of um, a, a grazing outlook and rather than having to talk all rhetoric with the experts, we thought we'd talk to Mark just around FMD and, and where you're viewing it from. Mark, good morning. Thanks so much. Um, look, it is a scary time, but not to promote and create enormous fear, mm. but more to be alarmed, alert, wary, get some understanding. It's so interesting, and as I speak to you this morning, the Scenic Rim Farmgate Trail have released their map, and, and this is where a lot of the people in, in the Brisbane city go out to the bush and they go around to each farms. And yep. the messaging is if you've travelled to anywhere in Indonesia in the last seven days, we ask that you please do not come to the Scenic Rim Farm Trail. And and, and they've publicly come out this morning and said that. Now, that's all well and good for them to have to say that, but I don't think it should be up to them. I think there's got to be more than just just them asking people not to, there needs to be back from from my perspective, biosecurity at the airports that we don't even allow it to get in there because the chance of it spreading is just, you know, absolutely huge if, if it gets to that. But at least now we are starting to see some people take matters into their own hands. Rather, it could be a little too late, but the government need to sort of do that as well in my perspective. But I'm just interested to know how you guys are handling it and how you're viewing it in central Queensland. Yeah, Dobbo, it's, um, I, I mean, it's a hugely complex and, and challenging problem. And um, I, I'm also a director on the Ag Force Cattle Board. And, and, you know, there are some people like David Hill and Peter Hall and Lloyd Hick and Rachel Lehman, who's an expert in biosecurity, just putting in so, so many hours and days a week um, trying to work on preventative measures within the, the, the national industry structures, but also preparedness and um I think the thing you touched on first about the farm gate trail, it's really the, the point where we as producers can, can take um, responsibility for helping to, to keep this disease off farm. Um, for, for an animal in Australia to get FMD, there's got to be that contact with the, the contagion and some contaminated materials. Um, and, and that's where, you know, 
everyone's reading a lot of different things. The biggest thing you can do is once you listen to your morning gobbo, get the biosecurity plan out, get your NLIS system up, get your traceability up to date. Um, because if there is an incursion, uh, how quickly we can trace it will determine how soon a, a livestock standstill stops. But also, who are the people coming onto your property? What measures have you got in place to stop that risk? Because at some point, a cow meets this disease, and then I've got huge faith that at that point, that's where the Australian producer sits. Um, as far as airports, we, we've got you know, countries that have had this disease for the last 30 years. I know there's a heightened risk with barley, but the single biggest risk is is contaminated materials. Um, and so the, 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 um, the problem with coming to some sort of position around stopping travel okay, is it will have an impact on, on Indonesia and our ability to work with them. And, um, you know, there are other routes for it to get here. If we don't help Indonesia handle this problem, it'll come through, you know, West Papua, Papua New Guinea, potentially down in the Gulf, and, and we've got a huge pest problem. So um, how we can work with them to stop it, but also look at there are far higher risk factors than just the people coming into the country. But, I mean, I've got great faith in the Australian people and I've got greater faith in, in producers on farm to, to stand at that line of defence. Um, look at how you're going to manage cattle that come onto and leave your property. Um, if you're engaged in the, in the agricultural shows, which are critically important, we've got to connect people with production. You know, it's how you manage those animals um, that have that high exposure to, to, to monitor them, to keep them away from other animals when they come back on farm, um, you, you know, and surveil. But I think it, this has been a, a risk, you know, around the world and in, in a number of countries for, for a number of years. We have the best traceability systems in the world, and maybe I'm biased, but we've got the best producers in the world too. So, um, you know, I, I think if producers can take that real high level of responsibility on how it is they can act as the fortress to their own farm, and if we all do it, um, we will keep this thing out of out of our industry. Many years ago, when NLIS was being introduced, we mm. all, not all, but there was a lot of division within the industry. You know, we had that old tail tag method that was barbaric and we all thought that the only way to ever go was tail tags. And then yeah. we brought the NLIS system in and, and there was a lot of confusion and a lot of people whinging about the cost and, you know, but it has stood the test of time. It has been our greatest ever achievement, I believe, in the agricultural industry because of traceability. Yeah, and absolutely. Give, and that gives yeah. everybody a lot of hope, doesn't it, Mark, that because of these kind of traceability methods, if we get our own individual biosecurity plans right, and I'm I'm imploring every grazier listening to this show, every single person, please just give yourself a chance. Give yourself a chance yep. and actually make sure that you have your biosecurity plan in place. We all stand a better chance because – God forbid something does and there is an incursion on someone's property. If we have got those places, well, then the contamination can be can be absolutely monitored and it can be shut down and it can be isolated and that we can, and, and as bad as it potentially could be, we could make sure that there's not more incursions. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know we've we've been able to operate as an island for a long time, and we've got these great these great um, NLRS systems. I was in a you know, last year a discussion around how we trace you know cattle, and, and this was around the deforestation conversation in the world, and talking to some Brazilian farmers, and you know they're, they're talking about their animals meet the works, and they've got a mark on every side of them for every producer it's been to on the way, and there'd just be seventeen marks on the side of this beast, and. Yeah, we're operating on a completely different system where we can have traceability back to you know a number of farms. Um, so the big thing is, yeah, get, and I've I've gone through and done a, an NLIS refresh before and uh, completely reset the pick, and it's not pretty, and it's a lot of work, and and you got to clean it up, and you got to do a reconciliation, and but you know I, I implore everyone to get their get their picks up to date, um, and get their practices on farm, you know, up to date, and maybe heightened. Um, I mean, we've got a lot of, you know, CQ, there'll be a lot of people that might not be on seven day, seven on, seven off rosters out of the mines and, and they might even live in Bali. Um, and so it's just about ensuring that they don't get contact or, or have contact with, with your property. Um, and you can minimize that risk. Um, because, um, you know, that sits with the producer. I mean, the other one is, is lumpy skin diseases. Is, is a highly contagious, far more contagious disease. It's also in Indonesia at the same time, and and FMD is kind of taking a bit of focus off that. So we've we've got to really work hard with the Indonesians to help them work through work through management of both these things um, to help protect our own markets and our own industry, and um, you know assure the community at every step that if we do have this disease come here, um, it is no risk to to consumers. Um, and no risk to, to people to, to eat the beef on the shelf. Um, you know, it exists in all these countries around the world already. It's no threat to people and um, and it, it'll be safe to eat Australian meat. Yeah, um, but that's the big question yeah, and that's the really big issue. Um, obviously, the sustainability, beef sustainability framework, um, you guys are looking at a lot of things and this is probably not in your brief, but there would be discussions within just about how everybody's handling it and, and that's the best thing that can happen, isn't it, that everybody talks and, 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 yep. and collaborates. Yeah, and, and have, have I, I think the producers out there have faith in, in the people that are, you know, working as volunteers. Um, it can be hard to get comms out quickly and, and you know, if anyone's seen the structure of the beef industry as in the governance structure, and it, it's complicated. And it, it's people have got to engage at so many different committees, but there are people that go back there day after day trying to drive the perspective of the producer, and they're giving so much of themselves. So please, please have faith. And, and also, I think there's nominations up for Ag Force uh, Cattle Board positions in August. So. If you, if you want to get involved and engage with the industry and, and we need as many people involved as possible and absolutely nominate um, and um, make sure you have a lot of conversations about biosecurity with, with producers in your area, keep it front of mind and, and um, you know, talk about things you're doing differently that they might want to implement or learn from each other. Or um, but, but I think, yeah, we, we've just got to have faith that we can actually manage on farm because our destiny is in our own hands. we we can we can control that interaction between the animal and the people. Yeah, well said. Mark Davey, appreciate your time as usual. Awesome to chat. Thanks, Dobbo. Good on you. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Tuesday morning, the 19th of July. You're listening to Ben Dobbin on Rural Queensland today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back tomorrow. Ray Hadley joins you next. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll see you later.